Singles live on the Nation School at Cool 97 FM. Tonight's topic, coping with loss. Uh, last week, we had some technical issues and we were not able to do our talk segment at all. Yeah, we had a good show. We had a good show. Dre yes. and I, we chit-chat about yes. loss. Yes, we did. Yes, and we did. Um, people's reaction to losing a loved one or losing a job mm-hmm. or losing hope or even um, not achieving what they thought they would they would, have, yeah. would have achieved and we spoke about that last week um, Andre Allen Casey is not with us tonight but I have with me Wendy V. Miller and uh, tonight Wendy is going to be talking and uh, sharing with us her loss, how she's coping, and what she does on a daily basis. You hear what I said, Dre? Coping mechanisms? Uh, What she does on a daily basis in order to make it to the next day. Okay. Right. Wendy, are you with us? Right here. Hey, Wendy. (laughs) Hello. Yes, I'm hearing you. Are you hearing us? Clearly. Great. And we are hearing you clearly also. Uh, Let us start by welcoming you to Cool 97 FM and the program is Singles Live. Persons are listening from all over the world via the World Wide Web. We have a huge uh, diaspora in the United States, England and Canada. So they're online with us. And of course, we have persons listening via the radio. Uh, Wendy, um, I want to ask you to just start by telling us a little about Wendy Miller. Well, I'm just an ordinary Jamaican who was raised by a single mother um, who happened to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I grew up with my brother and a whole host of cousins and aunts and uncles. And that's just me in a nutshell. I went to a primary school. I passed the common entrance for high school. And I left high school at about 18, 19. And I began working my first job as a summer job. Right. It was the longest summer I ever had because I worked for six years. And when you were working in that job, um, what was it? What were you doing at that particular time? Well, my first job was with Bank of Jamaica, mm-hmm. and there was a department by the name of the Note Examination Room, and all we did all day was to count money. <laughs> and one would think that, oh, that's the ideal job, but it wasn't so it was for monotonous. you. monotonous. Yes, yes. Um, can you describe your personality before I move into the other questions that I have for you? What kind of personality do you um, think you have? Well, I'm a people person. I like to help, and I will help persons without having any money. I will give up my time. Um, I will share off myself. And the most important thing that per- if you if you say that you know me, you must know that I have a sense of humor. And my sense of humor is off the chain. Okay. 
I want you to bear that in mind. Wendy has a sense of humor. All right. Tell us about your experience as a mother when you first saw your child's eyes. Tell us about that experience. Well, I kept saying to myself that I couldn't believe that this was mine. I mean, somebody who was a part of me with 10 fingers, 10 toes, and I had the awesome responsibility of molding that individual into a functional human being so that they could operate in the society at large. Um, and uh, when you when you had, um, we, we can say no, when you had your daughter, you were pretty young, right? No, you know, I had her at 30. Mm-hmm. I didn't consider that young. No, that's in the back of my mind. I said, if it didn't happen then, I wouldn't bother to have children. Okay, okay. So you were elated. Yes. Right. Tell us about you and your daughter's relationship. She, of course, um, is and was your only child. Well, as parents, we always want to improve upon the relationship that we had with our parents. Mm -hmm. And that was foremost in my mind. I didn't want to make the mistake that my mother made because in my mind, my mother was an excellent provider but she didn't know how to provide emotional support. So I started from a very young age with my daughter to have a very good rapport and relationship with her. And even into her teenage years, we maintained that. Mm -hmm. Because when we spoke, you said she was your, you considered her to be your bestie <laughs> yes. yes and when i looked and i i looked at uh pictures i'm like oh my god this is a replica of you <laughs> yes yes <laughs> all right it actually looks like her dad yeah but i i i see i see your features too i see your features too um what was she like as a child she was very precocious meaning that um, she was very smart. I knew that she was going to be bright because she was talking by the time she was a year and a half. And any word you wanted her to pronounce, you just take your time, pronounce it slowly, and she would articulate it. I got her involved in a lot of things in terms of like extracurricular activities, but I had to be creative because I was a single parent I couldn't afford prep school tuition, so I did various things to get her active and involved and engaged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she excelled? Yes, she did exceedingly well, but the secret is she never thought she was bright. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And in a way, it was a very good quality for her to have because she wasn't what Jamaicans call show-off. You know, she was a humble, humble child. child. Right. She was bright. She did well in school, but she said that I was pressuring her by telling her that she was bright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Many years of happiness. I must confess, yes, it was a pleasure to have her as my child. And then things started to change. And what was that change, Wendy? 
Well, actually, there were little signs that she was ill, but for every symptom that she had, I took her to the doctor and a prognosis was given. And it wasn't anything as serious as what we later found out that it was, because the truth be told is that in the final diagnosis, she was diagnosed with liver cirrhosis, but um, doctors are not looking for a child to have that kind of illness. So even though the symptoms presented themselves from she was younger, she wasn't diagnosed with it until she was 18. She had just turned 18 because her 18th birthday was the 2nd of June and she was diagnosed on the 1st of July. I think that was 2014. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As, a, as a single mother, your only child, your daughter, your bestie, as you described your relationship with her. Yes, you were her mother. You know the boundaries. You had a very, very good relationship. Yes. With that, that diagnosis, what was your initial reaction? I was devastated. I remember the night when the doctors told me that she has liver cirrhosis. I didn't hear anything else that they said. I was in a tailspin. I made every effort to do research to find out what my options were. And I was just floored because it just didn't look good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was her reaction to your reaction? Or she, she was unaware of your reaction? No, she was very much aware but I think, in a way, because I was so open with her with my feelings and she knew how much it hurt me, mm-hmm. in the end, she was trying to hide from me how much pain she was in mm-hmm. because she knew how badly I took it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just tell us all that you went through leading up to her um Departure. No, I was just thinking, Wendy, can you tell us all that you did and all that you went through um, leading up to you um, losing her, so to speak? Because I really and truly don't think that you have lost her, but that's the term that we're going to use. Okay. What happened was that um, we decided that she was going to use her brain to fund her university education because like I said she was a bright child so the first step what we started with her doing the SATs so she did the SATs and that gave her a partial scholarship to Howard University so as a part of the matriculation process she had to be immunized for certain illnesses that in the Jamaican society, she wouldn't need those type of immunization. Right. And one of them was the hepatitis C um, vaccination. Right. Mm-hmm. So she got that. She got meningitis. She got um, for tuberculosis. She didn't get for smallpox because they said that the vaccination was not available locally. But what you find happening is because the liver as an organ is very resilient they gave her all those medication at one time. Knowing an ordinary person, the liver would flush out the toxins and 
you know, we'd be good to go. Additionally, she had a problem, which I later found out was because of the dysfunctional liver, was that she had irregular um, periods. Right. So the doctor put her on Dan 35. Mm-hmm. So about two to three weeks after she went on the Dan 35 and got her vaccination, she said, Mommy, the, the girls at school are complaining that my eyes are yellow. Mm. And then I looked. And I realized, like, hey, yes, this is so. So our family doctor, you interrupted? No, we're hearing yes. you. Oh. Okay, so the family doctor, I called him and I told him what was happening. So he said, you know what? Take her off the dying church side. And she stopped taking it. And after she stopped taking it, we thought that the coloring of the eyes would have gone back to white. That didn't happen. So he said he wanted her to do some blood tests. So in the meantime, we are there preparing for her to go to college by looking about passports and visas and everything. I remember one evening when we had just left the passport office because my passport had expired. And I called the doctor and I said, what is the result of the test? And he's like, I'm so happy you called me, you know, because I don't think she's going on tonight. Mm. I want you to come to the office, pick up a letter from me, and go to University Hospital, and we are going to ask them to do an ultrasound on our, our stomach. Even up to that point, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're just going to find out what's wrong with her, and then, you know, they're going to give her something for it, and then everything is going to go back to normal. So this was when the diagnosis was made. So this was like about midnight and when they did the ultrasound they started asking questions does she smoke does she drink and i'm like why would you ask me that she's this is an 18 year old teenager you're asking me she smoke and she drink and i said no she doesn't do those things and then they called another doctor to come in and look and then they told me that she has liver cirrhosis mm, right okay so we are like what next so at this point, I said to myself, I'm not going to stop the process of her going overseas to study because at the end of the day, she's going to need a liver transplant and that's not done locally. So whatever it meant for me to push her to go ahead and, and go to school, I'm going to go ahead with it. So I went ahead we did what we had to do and she enrolled in Howard. But what I didn't know was that she was very ill when she was there and mm-hmm. she was hiding that from me. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening was that she lost her scholarship at, at Howard. And in my quest to keep her there, um, I'm part owner of a, a house with my mom and she knew what I was going through and she said, you know what? take out a mortgage on the house since you want to keep her there. So go ahead and take out the mortgage and pay for it and, and, and don't let her get expelled from college. And I did that. And then her results came out from school and I realized that she was missing classes. Right. But if she was missing classes and had gone to the doctor and got a medical certificate, she wouldn't have lost her scholarship. But she didn't understand how those things operated, and she was more concerned in hiding the fact from me that she was ill. 
so she lost the scholarship. I did everything in my power to keep her there because she also was wearing braces and the doctors who she visited for her braces treatment were past students of Howard and I asked them to intervene because they knew the director at Howard to see if they could get her, you know, to stay. And I made an appeal and I lost the appeal. So when she lost the appeal, I said, baby, mm-hmm. just come home. Right. What we're going to do is ask you to uh, reapply to Ewing. And she did, and she got in. And I decided to have her being treated here locally. But in the back of my head, knowing that at any point if she deteriorates, I can always send her back to the States because she still had a visa so she could travel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did things start to go downhill after that, um, Wendy, so to speak? Well, she used to tell me that she's going by her friends to study. I later found out that that was her way of not allowing me not to see her in pain. And when her friends saw her in the pain, she would tell them that it's okay if they wanted to call me. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't allow them to call me. So I didn't know because in the back of my head, oh, she gone there to study. But like, I think this was December 2016, I had gone overseas. I didn't take her with me, which is a rarity because we normally travel together. And she went and stayed with her dad. And when she came back, she said, mommy, you know, my tummy is getting bigger and there's nothing that I'm doing that is making it going down. And every day I would ask her, are you deteriorating? She said, no, mommy. And then because I was paying back the loan and having to send her to university, financially things got a little lost. And she went and she found a job. She found a job so that she could earn enough money for her lunch money and take the pressure off me. And she was doing all of that. She was going to school. And one Friday evening, I came home, and her tummy was so distended, you'd have thought she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And she was shaking, and she didn't seem to, she seemed to be in and out of, I wouldn't say consciousness, but it's like she's looking at me and she's not looking at me. Right. And I said, baby, you cannot stay home. You have to go to the doctor. And she said, no, mommy, I don't want to go to the doctor. Because by this time... She had been to so many doctors and they had been sticking her with the needle so often that she had scars. So they, they had to be finding another place on her body to extract blood or put in an intravenous needle or something. So she was just traumatized by the whole hospital thing and she just didn't want to go. So I put her in the car and I was talking to my mother and saying to her that I'm going to the hospital with her. And then she had an epileptic attack. My daughter doesn't have fit. So this whole event, no, when I see that happen, I panic. So I'm like, I have to reach the hospital as quickly as possible. So I drove to the nearest police station, because I live in Portmore, to ask them for an escort to carry me. And the station said, just put on your hazard lights and go, because we don't have any vehicle. Mm. It took me 25 minutes from Portmore to get to the University Hospital. 
that was driving that fast. And if you know anything about distance, it's a good distance. And it took me 25 minutes to reach there. When I got to the hospital, I told them that she was inside the car and she couldn't walk, so I needed a bed. And they gave me the bed. And for the first two days while she was in the office, uh, the hospital, she didn't recognize me. Wow. And her eyes just had this glazed look. And it's like one of her friends, she was doing medicine. And there was some medication that she was supposed to take. But because she wasn't conscious, she wouldn't take it until a friend called me. And I said, I have somebody to speak to you. And then she came on the phone. I said, Mommy? Hmm? And it just broke my heart because at least I knew I had her back with me. Right. So when I started talking to the doctors, the doctors explained to me that she needs a liver transplant and she needs it now. So the Monday morning when I went to work, I explained to my supervisors what was happening to me with her. And then I launched an appeal on Facebook saying that I don't really like to put my business out there, but this is critical now. And I told them that she needed to be airlifted and the cost of it. And that was 10 o'clock in the morning. By 12 o'clock that same day, I got a call from um, one of the persons who went to high school with me. She didn't go at my time, but she was an alumni. And her husband called me to say that he would give me the money to have her airlifted, but I would own the difference. Like he was donated a certain amount, right? but he would give me the full amount. And when I get access to the GoFundMe that I have set up, I could repay him. So by the Monday, I had the money to have her airlifted. But here's the catch. I could not have her airlifted unless I found a hospital that was willing to accept her. And the cost of the surgery was 400000 U.S. So that amount of money was prohibitive. So I had to find some other way to get around getting her there because they said if they went and they landed at a hospital without approval, they could lose their life. Right, right. So that was another drama where I had mm. two phones and sometimes four phone calls one time and then I was online, I was sending messages and then in the background my co-workers found out what was going on and they decided to chip in. When I went back to the hospital, the doctor said, how did you do it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, how are you able to raise so much money in such a short space of time? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm just trying to do the best, best that I that can. can. Right. And then she was at the university hospital and they admitted her and they placed her on ward close to a window. I just got a phone call that they're moving her to intensive care. And I'm like, why are you moving her to intensive care? And the last conversation I had with her, she said, Mommy, whatever it is that you're doing, I hope it works out. And that's the last thing she said to me before she died. Mm -hmm. Because she was confident that I would do everything in my power to save her. Mm -hmm. And I never knew I wouldn't be able to do it. Yes. When she died, 
we we we, we spoke about this when we were um, doing our briefing, um, and it's something that you said is said you said that you did not um, go back to look at her body. No. Mm-hmm. I wanted to remember her as a happy, cheerful child that I know her to be. And I don't regret not looking at her. Mm. I want you to hold that thought. We're going to take a break, reminding you that this talk segment is brought to you by Savvy Boutique for the trendy work professionals that work and play. They stock clothing for women and children from all the brands you know and love. Calvin Klein, Victoria's Secret, Hotchkotch, MK and more. Call Savvy Boutique at 876-323-2836. You can also follow them on Instagram at Savvy, let me make sure I get that right. I don't have it here. I'll have to look for it. But they are at Savvy One on Instagram. Taking the break, we'll be right back. Cool 97. Singers live on the nation's coolest, Cool 97 FM talk segment brought to you by Savvy Boutique. Savvy Boutique located at 1 Fernley Avenue, Maypen Clarendon, right behind NCB. Get all the brands you love in unique clothing at affordable prices, so grab them up quickly. Island-wide delivery, call 876-323-2836. Wendy, still there with us? I'm still here. All right, so we have a number of persons listening via the World Wide Web. And uh, Johnny D is saying, I remember um, every details about this. And she says, I know Wendy is a super mom. And this lady did everything possible for her daughter. Mara says, I agree. I never looked at any of my three brothers who died in a casket. I prefer to remember them the way they were when they were whole. And when we were laughing and playing. So that is a part of a person's coping mechanism. You were not denying the fact that she had passed, were you? You were just saying, I wanted to remember her a certain way. A certain way. Am I correct? Well, I wouldn't say I wasn't denying. Mm-hmm. Um, denying is not really the word. It's, it's just like it was. It was like I was in a different body. Mm-hmm. I was at the hospital with a, about 11 of her friends and family, and I was the one controlling everybody when I heard the news. Because in a way, I was glad that she was not in any pain. And one of the most profound things about that day, it was the first day since she was born that I went and had a full sleep because it was the first time in my life I don't have to wake up and wonder what am I going to give her to eat how am I going to look after her who I'm going to provide for her is she safe is she okay emotionally is she okay physically I didn't have to deal with that I didn't have to be anticipating a phone call from the hospital to tell me that she had passed so I mean yes it is sad but at the same time, it was a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how long were you um, in that? But no, let me let me let me ask this question. Something that you said prior to you said that you were the one 
who was consoling others around you. Yes. Um, explain that to me because it's something, a conversation that my, 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 my co-worker and I had last week about um, persons expecting um, somebody to be strong in, 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 in when, when a loved one dies. And here am I thinking that it would have been persons consoling you, the mother. You have lost your one and your only child and not the other way around. But where did, where did this strength come from for you to be consoling somebody else? I couldn't tell you. It's just how I was feeling at the time. It was a sense of numbness, surrealness. You just can't explain. It's like you can't believe that she's gone, but at the same time, as I said before, you're happy that she's no longer in pain. In pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, your coping mechanism. I know that. Let us move into... I know you had her memorial service, but how did you and what are some of the things that you did um, to cope First of all, the day when I found out, or the night when I found out that she passed away, I called my significant other, and I said, "Hon, Tony is no longer with us. I was in New Kingston with a friend, and he had just got home in Spanish town. And he, he just turned around, because he had just got home. He just turned around and came by a minute. I was among quite a few friends and co-workers, and he just came and sat in front of me and said, Babes, I'm taking three weeks off to help you plan this. Mm-hmm. The following day, he took away my phone. I couldn't communicate with anybody. He said, get off social media, come off the phone, and we are going to plan this. That was very difficult for me. Not because I am so addicted to social media, but because I'm so accustomed to do things on my own. Mm. So it was very difficult for him to get information out of me because everything was in my head. So he had to make a concerted effort to get up in the mornings and say, what do you have planned for today? And then I had to tell him what it is that I want to get accomplished and he would take me there and he would carry me home and the other thing is that when i'm depressed i don't eat and he couldn't get me to eat i just couldn't eat mm-hmm. i would drink but i couldn't eat. could not eat so the first three weeks i remember the day of I, I didn't have a memorial i called it a thanksgiving a life um a celebration of life and we were planning for this um, place to, to have the, the event and we couldn't get anywhere until I finally got somewhere. And when we finished it, doing all the planning and we organized where the repast was going to be, there were no chairs. And he said to me, babe, what we're going to do about the chairs and the table for the people to eat? And I just slumped down in the car and I said, honey, I cannot go any further. Mm-hmm. This is it. And would you believe that when the function was finished and we went over for the repast, there were chairs and tables. So much so that he wasn't able to attend the Thanksgiving because in the background, 
he was doing that for me so that the persons would have somewhere to sit mm-hmm. and eat and and sit around a table. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that happened. That, that I was not involved in that any at all because I was still numb. Mm-hmm. Once again, I have to just draw back on our conversation last week, Dre, when we talk about support, yeah. which was key when someone, when we lose a loved one, um, the support is key. We know we can't stand on our own. Um, we have, yeah, we have to have that support. And this is coming out um, with your significant other, Wendy, is that he was and he is a support system for you. Yes. Yes. What else did you do? I know you felt numb, but you continued to put one foot in front of the other, even though there were days when you feel like you wouldn't, but you did. Immediately after she was buried, well, she wasn't buried, she was cremated. I didn't have her body at the function because I didn't want anybody looking at her and lying because she looked and no, I was about that. I had pictures of her um, posted around the church, and there was flowers, and the praise and worship was lively, just like the person that she was in life. Mm-hmm. So immediately after that, I took some time off from work. I didn't go to work for about three months, so I took some unpaid leave, and I went overseas because I needed a change of scene so that I didn't have to continue to go through the same routine that I would have expected to go through while I'm here. Mm-hmm. So I, I needed a change of environment because my routine would now be devoid of her. Mm-hmm. Right. So I went away. And continue. We're listening. By the time I came back, it was time for school because I had applied for university while she was alive. And we used to joke about it. And I told her that, you know, the two of us would end up graduating together, mother and daughter. So when I came back and it was time for school, I decided to use that as my coping mechanism. Because if I had something to think about other than her and something to concentrate on, it would make the pain less painful mm-hmm. for want of a better word yeah so I went back to school How was the first semester was horrible why why was that so long yeah I can I can relate to that I can certainly relate to that um, but being on the campus that she was on how was that for you okay the course that I did was fully online. So the only time that I had to face the campus, ironically, was exam time. Mm -hmm. And every time I went to do the exam, I had a meltdown. Yeah, but we know, and the little birdie told me that in spite of the meltdown, and when you graduated, you graduated with, tell me, let me hear. Mm -hmm. Just an upper second class honors. Okay, and this was in honor of your daughter. Okay, so my coworker is applauding you, and thank you. Right, we're saying to persons who are listening, um, 
for some persons because we never know how we are going to grieve. Each individual grieves differently. Um, but for Wendy, she had a goal and she, she, was, she was doing this for her daughter. And this is the driving force behind her graduating and doing so well. Um, something that you mentioned, you said Fridays for you will never be the same again. Tell us about oh. that. The day when she died, all the ducks were sitting in a row. We had a hospital that was prepared to take her. We had a plane that was ready to um, take her. I had her passport, I had mine, and my bag was packed. When I went to the doctor, he called me into the room and he gave me this long speech about what they were trying to do for her. And then he finally said that she's too sick to fly. But this was after she had passed. Prior to that, I was at my office and I got a call that the doctors wanted to see me. So I said to them, has she passed? Nobody would answer me. And at that time, I felt weak. I just couldn't stand up. And one of my coworkers came and hugged me up. And then I had two friends outside waiting on me to take me to the hospital. And I told them, I'm not going. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not going. And they said, no, when you need to I said, I am not going. And I felt that at that moment when I felt weak, that was when she slipped away. Mm -hmm. And so Fridays for you will never yep. be the same. You mentioned yep. also that there are Fridays when you just just want to just curl up by yourself. Yeah. And I don't want to be alone. Repeat that for us. I don't, I really don't, don't want to be you alone don't want on a Friday. To, on a Friday. So you, um, you are one of those individuals who want to have company. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because you know you Even have... Even if I'm in the room by myself. By myself, you want to I have someone want, yes. there with you. Yes. Um... The loss of your daughter has it um, negatively affected your 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 relationship with your significant other, or has it improved um, your relationship? There is a bond between us because my daughter met him before she died. She gave him her blessing, and sometimes he'll talk to me and say, "This is what Tony would want." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, she's a common bond between us. Yes, yes. Um, so, we have one of our um, listeners who is listening via the World Wide Web. Philip underscore 17 says, So, she went into the hospital on a Friday and died on a Friday. Is yes. It is understandable that Fridays will be rough for her. Has she visited the hospital where she died? And how oh. does she cope with that? Oh, dear. You don't want to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went, as part of my job, sometimes I have to visit the hospital. And I have asked my supervisor not to allow me to visit that hospital. I will go to other hospitals. But not that but one. But not university. Mm -hmm. But uh, less than a year after she passed away, 
my mother became ill. Mm. And she was at the same university hospital. And the thing is, I kept asking the doctors to tell me what they're going to do with my mom, if they're going to admit her, if they're going to release her. And after 12 hours, they couldn't tell me. And I had a meltdown. I started shouting and screaming at the doctors and telling them that I need to leave here. No, this is where my daughter died. I can't deal with this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I walked out of the hospital without even knowing what was going on with my mom. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't stay a minute longer. So your state of grieving in terms of being angry did not come out during the time that um, you were you were grieving your daughter, so to speak, but when your mom went into that same hospital. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, Philip, there you have it. You hear that. Um, she does not do well going back to that hospital. Um something that really stick in my mind something that you said something that is very profound and a lot of people can relate to this those who have lost um, loved ones those who have lost children especially um, mothers and fathers who have lost their 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 children their child because it is no parent wish to bury um, their child and this is something that Dre and I spoke about last week there are some things that you never get over yep this is one of them mm -hmm. so you you know that this is something that you will never get over nope. but you will just continue to put one foot in front of the other and I'll keep tell you it what moving I, mm -hmm. I talk about her as if she's still alive. Mm -hmm. So, like, there, something will happen at work, and I'll tell them, you know, when Tony was a baby, this is what she used to do, or Tony would have said this, or I remember when she said so and so. That that's how I do it. I talk about her as if she's still here. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you do in terms of? Um in terms of her remembrance? Every time um, I remember something and it brings me to tears, I try to rem remember something else. Oh, so I you... try not to dwell at that place okay. for too long. Okay, okay. So you try to think of, instead of ruminating that's the word instead of staying in that place you try to think of something that makes you smile not necessarily because this is where school came in mm -hmm. you invested so much money into school so to even study or get the content it takes a great deal of concentration Right. even my job my job requires a lot of brain power so whenever you find yourself going to wallow into self-pity, you find something to do that is going to engage your brain in such a way that you just don't go down that road. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Understandable. Is there anything else, Miss Miller, that you'd want to add before we wrap um, this talk segment? Anything else you want to tell us? Anything you want to share with our listeners? 
there is no time frame on grief. Mm-hmm. None. Mm-hmm. Grieving is something that is personal. It is distasteful, in my opinion. Just say, they not get over that now. Very distasteful. You know, um, you just never know. And the most it can be is understanding instead of being critical and, and you know, being malicious, then, so to speak. And I've received a lot of that, even with uh, me acquiring the degree and saying that um, it's in my daughter's honor. I saw a, a comment on Instagram saying that black people need to come out of them slavery. You dedicate a degree to one, your dead daughter. Mm. like, oh my God. People just don't get it. But grieving is an inside job. Yes, it is, and it's continuous, and it's, 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 it's one foot in front of the other, and you just keep on moving and as I said before there are some things that you never get over you just learn to live and to cope Wendy I thank you ever so much for sharing your story with us and may the love the light and the energy of your daughter continues to flow Philip Semting says, so grief like self-realization is a continuous process and it's a process that must be carried through. And, you know, when I analyze, um, Mara, you would know this, when I analyze the five um, stages or so they say, some will say it's about six, but when you analyze the five stages of grief, it's almost like for those persons who are going through um, the grieving process. It's like one day you're at stage two, next day you are back at one. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you say to yourself, do we ever get over? Do anyone really and truly get over? Because sometimes we say we may get over during the same time, but sometimes we think that we got over and something there's this a little trigger. trigger. Yes, that's the word. A little trigger um, occurs and you feel back. Boy, I'm back at stage one. And so once again, we are concluding that grief is not... You can't put a big blanket and say, okay, Dre and Anna and everyone else is going to grieve that particular way. To each individual... Everybody grieves differently and communicates differently and does things differently. Wendy went out there and she did her degree. Somebody else may have chosen to stay home and hid on in the bed and don't move. So different individuals. There is no particular time frame. No particular time frame. Thank you so much again for sharing with us. Yeah. Be safe. You're most welcome. And God bless you. And may his light continue to shine on you. And continue to be the kind-hearted person that you are. Because True. guess what? If you were not, then <laughs> you and I would not have um, gotten in contact with each other. 
So um, you're spoken about and you're loved and you are respected and continue to do what you're doing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Singers live on the nation's coolest, Cool 97 FM. And of course, this past segment was brought to you by Savvy Boutique. Ladies, hit them up for your unique and affordable women and children clothing from all the top brands. Visit them at One Friendly Avenue, Maypen, Clarendon, right behind NCB. You can also call 876 Three two three two eight three six Savvy Boutique for the trendy work professionals that work and play. So I brought that story to you, Dre. Yes, I brought that story, Mara. Thank you so much. I know. Yes, I Wendy is. Yes, I know that you remain silent. I, I didn't know what to say. Like, yeah, it was. It was um, it's a lot. It is. It is a lot. It is a lot. And as a as a as a as a mother yeah, myself yeah, as a mother I'm gonna share this. Mm-hmm. As a mother I, I have a one pickinini look but I say you're my one pickinini. Yes, my one child. And I remember reading about Wendy's story and I said to myself, I just draw into myself. But you know what I do? With my daughter on a daily basis, I treasure her. I treasure um, time with her. Not things. I treasure time with her. And it is something that I learned when I was 10 years old. Um, When I saw my mom being taken out of the the house Um, to they were rushing her to the hospital and I remember saying to myself and Mara is going to say and this is like bargaining and I said to my I said to I said to the, to, 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 to my divine creator if my mother comes back in this house mm-hmm. I will n- not give her any trouble I was about 10 and 11 or 11 yeah. at that time and my, my mom came home I can sit here Dre and tell her I have never <laughs> you know teenage problems and given my mom any trouble it's a, it's, a, it's a promise that I kept and I treasure persons that I have around me with time yeah. so my, my, my few little friends that I have I make sure to check in on them I want to spend time with them when we are together they are the most important um, person or persons to me when we are together mm-hmm. we plan things together you know that in terms of me and my sisters how close yeah. we are yeah. right because I realize, I guess what, there is one thing that is inevitable, and that is death. Mm-hmm. We can't skirt around it. We can't stop it. We can't stop it. We can't even predict it. We can't, that is it. We can't predict it for some people, for those persons who are ill. Mm-hmm. And you watch them go through the stage of illness. Mm-hmm. And you know what is going to come at the end. Yeah. You, you, in, in, in some way, some way, you kind of prepare yourself in some way because yeah. you're still going to grieve. Yeah. But when you have get those shockers, those untimely death, it is 
very, very rough, but you're still going to grieve also. So irrespective yeah. of how the person passed, when the person passed, the person could be 199-year-old Dre, <laughs> you're still going to go yeah, through the griefing process. Absolutely. So what I do is to spend quality time with persons around me. I don't take time for granted. Yeah. I don't take them for granted. I don't take people that I love and care about for granted at all. Yeah, I don't. Because sometimes when you go to these funerals and these memorial services and you see the yes, people are going to cry, but some of the time it is also regret. Regret mm-hmm. that I did not spend enough time, time, enough yeah. time with you. Regret that I yeah. did not get to do this. I regret that, that I did not get to do that. I heard that somewhere. I don't remember what I was watching, but I know I heard that somewhere. That, yeah. Um, a lot of the grieving or you know, a part that, of the grieving process, yes. Are people exhibited? It's because of it's because of regrets. Of regrets. Yeah. Yes, it's because of regrets. I don't want that. Um, yeah. Uh, Mara says, "Me and my adult children and my grandchildren. That is why we spend time together. We carve out special moments, and we create a family chat where we are where we spend time together, time sharing our day at least twice a year. We travel together collectively as a family, and it is very important. It is very important that we create those memories. So we are." At ten thirty-three. I thought you were going to say out of here. <laughs> you were saying out of here. Not quite yet. Uh, Not quite yet. Maxine says that's true, and those, those are the ones who want to throw them. Yes, Dre, back here. You see, Maxine. I, I didn't want to say it, you know, but Maxine <laughs> said it for me. She said that's true, and those are the ones who want to throw themselves into the grave. And it's so true, cause you know yeah. you never treat the person good. You promise the person, say I go look for them. You made some false promises, and know that they've gone. Mm-hmm. Know that the time feel you feel it. My grandmother used to say, "Don't." And, and I think it's a quote from a particular song, you know, back in her day. She says, "Don't give me roses when I'm gone." Mm-hmm. She don't want it. And I'm going to tell you something, Dre. When my grandmother passed and at the funeral, there was limited, limited amount of, um, I think maybe there was maybe one flower um, there. You know why? Because we would spend time with her and gave her the things that she wants. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, she passed in January. And we went to look for her in December, and she wanted. I remember that she wanted ice cream, and she got her ice cream. And she and I was feeding her something as she was saying to me, "Oh, um, man, you make it kill me." And I no, I have to laugh. And I said, "No, grandma, today's not your day." Mm-hmm. And so when I look back at that. Um, she did not want flowers she wanted yeah. our company she wanted to know that we're there and i remember when i went to look for her when they called me i was at work and they called me i said and um grandma is going and need to come and look for her and i said yes i'm coming and when i went she looked up at me and she said and why you take so long why it takes so long for for for, for reach mm-hmm. and i said but i'm here now and one week later yeah she passed one week later um and of course i cried of course of course i cried and the next i think it was the following week i looked for 
a skirt that I had one because I would, you know, my grandmother loved flowing, um, bright color skirts. She loved, I never saw my grandmother um, wear her pants. Mm. And I remember really dressing up. And they say, Anne, so how you dress up? So I said, because I am representing my grandmother. Yeah, that is what I did. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So treasure those moments. Create, yeah. create yeah. positive memory. And um, yeah, learn and teach. Yeah, yes, it is. Cool 97. Radio. Radio.